0: now a shattering new film from the creator of taxi driver rolling thunder there's a storm brewing in this man they took his arm his family and his soul his anger is building and it's going to explode in rolling thunder rated r
1: after these messages <laughs> i mean we have we started the podcast
2: no
3: there's, there, get... there's no way we've introed in yeah, <laughs>
1: no no way. So, like,
2: <laughs> i have very little to say about this movie i don't want to waste any time like <laughs> spilling any shit here let's keep going
1: let's we're just going to keep setting it up and go to commercial break and then keep setting up brent's comments and then yeah after this message brought to you by castrol gtx yeah well, Hot to Trot's definitely on the Dabney
2: Coleman athon. Yeah, Dabs athon. Well, yeah, and I months. was.
3: It does nine to five count? Only, I mean, he's the villain of, of course. It, in it sense. counts. No, absolutely. But he's not, he's not That's one lead. of his best. I mean, yeah, he's when great I great in it, and I want. I've been wanting to do nine to five for years. I think nine to five for sure. Uh, I've. Like Cloak and Dagger, like I just want to do that one because I like that movie. (laughs) What's the one? What's the movie with Tom Selleck and there's some robot spiders on an elevator at the end? Oh, um, Runaway. Runaway. Oh, because
1: I always used to call that Cloak and Dagger. (laughs) (laughs) We could talk about that during the podcast. I ended up watching it's called Runaway. I I, I watched, yeah. Is it Runaway? (laughs) Yeah. A hundred percent. Tom Selleck, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Gene Simmons is the villain. Oh yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. All right. Yeah. I've ended up watching that another Dabney Coleman movie randomly this week on Golden Pond. I just hey. threw yeah, you're it on that. But, how uh, much is he in that? I don't
2: remember him in that. Really he's in, at at in it
1: uh, just a little bit. He's like Jane Fonda's, you know, husband. Okay. So just a supporting role, but That'd and he's like super nice guy. And clearly he's got him and Jane Fonda must have been friends if they did uh, yeah. that and nine to five kind of back to back.
2: I uh I was just looking through his stuff and it was like I mean there's a bunch of movies that he's done that would be awesome to talk about like like War Games and stuff like mm-hmm. that but it's like he doesn't have he's All not right. the he's not like the big lead right he's, like the man with one red shoe like that's another movie that I hope we do at some point but yeah like he's not you know he's not really the lead right Well
1: I don't think he's I don't know if he's ever been the lead except maybe short time that's the only movie I can think of where he's like yeah a... short time is like he's legitimately
3: the lead yeah, yeah. but
1: uh, as far as features go he's always been a supporting supporting role we've and we've covered him actually once already we did the towering Inferno very your... short small role there for him yeah. but
3: isn't he kind of a he's also like a stand-up right like he was isn't that or he kind of
1: I'm not did he sure do about stand-up? that uh,
3: did a lot of TV but I don't know about stand-up. You're right, but he was yeah, late, he or maybe he's just late to the game, like he he didn't start acting until he's like in his forties or fifties or something like that. Something, yeah. well, he's weird. one of those
1: guys who looked you know 45, you know, when he was probably 20. Yeah,
3: yeah. but it's I don't, that mustache. I don't think he was like a young actor though. At any point, I think he was he got into acting late.
1: You want to you yeah. want to get him on the phone, David?
3: Uh
1: if we could
2: how big how big is his role in Tootsie?
1: Oh, big, yeah. Oh, he's the yeah, director Tootsie. of the show. Yeah, so yeah. Tootsie might be one that
3: but tets is so much more than Dabney Coleman. Like that's the thing with yeah. these movies, is like all these movies are bigger. I, I we can't do war games. He's barely in no, it. we do and short time. Again. We do short time. Short time's the the big highlight. I like I like nine to five because he gets to play the, the kooky villain yeah. in the sense that that would be because it's at least an interesting part. Um yeah. I am I'm,
2: I'm calling cloak and dagger because when I think of Dabney Coleman, that's like know.
3: the first movie I think about. All right,
1: sure. Well, let's yeah. do it. Dabney well, Coleman. you know, all, all this all this Dabney Coleman talk has got me fired up to talk about a movie where he's got a very small part in. <laughs> uh, welcome right. welcome back to another episode of Reconsinimation. I am John Diner. I'm David Munchak. I'm Brent Hutchins. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And what year are we dialing the Wayback Machine to this time? David, you got it fired up? Oh, uh,
3: yeah, I've got the thing, and it's uh, it's going back to my favorite decade, the 70s, 1977. I, I'm ready. I'm programming it in. Here there we you go. There mm-hmm. uh,
1: Yes, 1977, and we are going to take a look at Rolling Thunder, which is, a, I don't know. have definitely movie... heard about. It def- <laughs>
3: yeah. it's a movie you definitely know.
1: I think yep. a lot of people have missed out on this
3: one. This doesn't get a lot of TV airplay, I, I think. No, I don't uh, think so. This wasn't on CBS.
1: We we call this we like to call this a a hidden gem. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think calling it a hidden gem is fair. Yeah, but uh, we're just coming off of a a hot month of August, super hot month. Andrew McCarthy, August. We had a Friday the Thirteenth, Part Five, in there as well. Uh, Mister McCarthy, we just overloaded on him. He's got to take a break. So we're we're going to sort of turn towards the the Quentin Tarantino corner of the world and, and movies that uh, we're going to talk about a couple movies this month that are either uh, that have influenced him or he was involved with uh, that's kind of one of our, I guess, sort of a September thing for us.
3: We do this every September is like, Quentin Tarantino inspired movies is that a we did well now?
1: we did a couple years ago we did but now I'm going to make it a thing so I know a good movie when I see part of what fascinates me about him is all the movies that influenced him I think mm-hmm. are are ones that sort of we would look at you know I mean, right. we looked we looked at Reservoir Dogs a couple years ago and on that episode we also talked about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and yeah. um, you know there's a huge library of movies that that he loved as a kid and i think some of those are ones we can take a look back at like rolling thunder here
2: absolutely like rolling thunder i mean he he must have been so influenced by it that he named his production company after after Mm. the movie rolling thunder pictures so you know hi i'm quentin tarantino
4: and i'm here to introduce the rolling thunder video collection that we'll be releasing through buena vista home video why are our films doing great on video why they're movies that you can see again and again and again.
1: Yeah, and I think that was a distribution company where yeah, he that's trying, kind of- right. He was like buying up, um, you know, cult films and trying to re-release them in you know small runs in theaters, and it only went for like four or five years. Right, uh, but. Yeah, it was like Chung King Express. I remember it was like a big deal when he picked that up and had it released. Yeah, and... he had
2: like The Beyond. There was Chung King, Detroit 9000. Yeah. Mighty Peking Man. Uh, Switchblade Sisters is probably the one that I think has the most recognizable title of, of all of them. But mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Well, and now with him running the the new Beverly Theater that you sort of. Sort of doesn't need a distribution Company because he has his own theater and he Just runs whatever the heck he wants All day every day so Right It's a uh, and it's a it's a cool Theater that has such an old school theater Vibe it's not huge you know It's pretty intimate and uh, You know it's a lot of films that m- Most Of the uh, you know anyone outside Of the Tarantino audience a lot of Them have not seen those movies or he a- do a double feature where it's something more popular combined with something that you definitely haven't seen. So, um, and then now he's just bought the Vista theater in LA, which I love. That's one of my favorite. That's probably my second favorite theater. And, uh, but we'll see what, what he ends up doing with it. Yeah. Um, so rolling thunder, this is a, uh, a 1977 film starring William Devane, directed by John Flynn. It's a, it's, you know, we're going to talk later on the episode about revenge movies, uh, but this is definitely one of the, the top ones in that category. Uh, guys, when, when did you first hear of the movie? I'm, I don't know if this was the first time you saw it. Uh, Brent, let's start with you. When, when do you hear about this movie?
2: Yes, first time I saw it was this week. Uh, I had heard about it because of, because of obviously the, the rolling thunder pictures thing that was going on, but I'd never seen this, uh, growing up, you know, it came out in 77. Uh, it was a little bit before my time. And, and as, uh, when I did grow up and, and saw some of the movies, you know, it was more like, um, death wish things like that, like kind of same vein, but but not quite. Although I have to say, like having seen it just recently, like, I mean, for what it is, like, I think I get it. Like I understand why uh, Tarantino likes it. I think it's, you know, for a revenge film, it's entertaining and well done. And you know, there's, it's um, hits all, hits all the points.
1: David, what about you? I can only imagine this was your first time seeing it
3: oh how'd you guess
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah never heard of it before
3: and uh you never never heard about it at all no idea what Nothing. this was <laughs> you couldn't it, in a million years i would if it was like two weeks ago and you're like gun to my head tell me about rolling thunder i'd be like uh this roller skating movie um that's not uh, i don't know they're 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 uh, they're bank robbers. <laughs> funny the... enough,
1: those are both sequences that got cut out of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Roller skating bank robbers was yeah, the...
2: yeah. <laughs> too gratuitous. The MPAA made them cut it out.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I uh, know this was, uh, so
3: like many 70s movies, uh, that aren't popular, I hadn't heard of it. <laughs> uh, aren't yeah. popular. Are you saying that
2: this is not a popular is, movie? Is it a popular movie? It, I mean, well, it, it, it you know, sort
1: of was, sure. and then it was gone. But yeah, we'll we'll get to that. In, in I, I mean, and I mean in the sense of like
3: in a modern sense, like you know, I don't know. Who's I mean, talking about Rolling Thunder, I'm sure yeah. I'm sure there This is a cinephile movie. This yes. is not a general but audience movie. This is not. Well, but the, I'm
2: interested. I'm interested. I I feel like we're all gonna learn, or John's gonna teach us a lot about this movie, uh, this yeah. particular podcast, because both you and I had not seen this before. But in looking into it, like getting oh, some <laughs> research done. You know, I know we're going to talk about this later, but like people saw the movie, you know, oh, like yeah. this wasn't this wasn't a movie. So it's weird to me that it did just kind of disappear, you know, mm-hmm. and that yeah. and that I didn't see it because with as much. As well as it had done, like you'd think it would have been more. I don't know,
1: out there. Yeah, that's uh, we'll, we'll get there, too. I know. I know. I'm John. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting ahead. I'm getting ahead. Uh, the, the first time I saw, yep, Brent, same as you, like I had never heard of this movie until Tarantino made that sort of announcement and it was like, oh, he's starting right. a company. Oh, and that name is relating to some movie that he likes. But even then, uh, you know, because it was so hard to find, I didn't see it for years. I only saw it maybe five years ago with our with our friend Jared had the kids, kids had a sleepover. <laughs> so Jared and I stayed up late and, you know, had a couple of drinks and watched uh, some, you know, movies for the dads and uh, and he yeah. he owned it. And I was like, oh, my God, finally, like, here's my opportunity to watch it. Yeah. And I was mesmerized. I was like, was one of those moments where I was like in I was zoned in on the movie. And uh,
2: well, yeah, I think it was almost impossible to find until like 2012. There was like the Blu-ray DVD release. That was like the.
1: Yeah. 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 Like so, that was the first real, you know, major home video release of it. Right.
3: Mm. Wow. Uh,
1: But I've, I've always been a William Devane fan. I'm I'm not sure. the president of the Devane uh, fan. <laughs> he, <call.
3: laughs>
1: you are not only. Uh, I like a Devane. He doesn't even know it either, but.
2: Yeah, he's good. And he's great in this movie. Like yeah. he's very good. I know that there were like at the time they were angling to try and make him kind of uh the next big star which never really happened but he always puts out a solid performance he's very good in this
1: yeah i i remember as a kid there was a tv movie called red alert and it was Mm -hmm. a sort of a nuclear crisis movie like a disaster in a nuclear power plant he's like He's either a cop or a reporter. He's probably a cop, uh, but he ends up having to go into the plant. And I remember just being like really freaked out of him walking through the plant in the, you know, in the suit and uh, like he's being exposed this is, to the whole thing. He's got to save like the Chernobyl day. before Chernobyl. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Very good.
1: Uh, so I saw that when I was really young, and I, you know, for some reason he became like a like a action star in my head. Yeah. I don't think that was in reality, but and then he was just all over TV and sort of like he never became that major household name and that star that I think they were positioning him to be. But he was all over sort of like B level action and suspense movies that through the 80s and 90s, like he was all over cable, cable TV, like USA movie of the week kind of yeah. things. So always yeah, I working. Think he's- Yeah.
2: Oh, sorry. I think he's one of the absolutely. I think he's one of those dudes that you you like recognize, but you probably don't know his name. Right. Right. I mean, you do, John. I know you do. do. You're the you're the president of the fan club. But (laughs) most most of us like like when I saw him, I was like, oh, yeah, dude, this guy's been in lots of other stuff. Yeah. Well,
1: and then later, you know, in his the later part of his career, he shows up on 24 for like what, David, like three seasons, something like that.
3: Yeah, he he bobs in and out. Yeah, yeah, Uh,
1: and I think yeah, and then he's been on plenty of other network shows. So in the the, I would say the twilight of his career. But he's a he's a busy guy. Yeah, yeah, but always a good performance. Like he's one of those guys. You know, maybe he's not he's not on the Gene Hackman level, but he's close. In that whatever whatever the project is, he gives it his all, and and I buy it. You know. Okay. Yeah. So,
3: He's good uh, in this.
1: Yeah, so I was I was really looking forward to seeing it. And finally, uh, was was. But let's let's rewind and talk about how this movie got made and some of the. There's kind of a significant player here behind the scenes. Where do you guys stand on Paul Schrader? And I don't think we've even mentioned his name here on the podcast. So welcome to the show, Paul Schrader. Paul Schrader. He's a uh, he's classic classic taxi driver that's
2: taxi
1: uh, yeah driver. i mean that's
2: that's the big one right
3: yeah
1: like i saw that movie oh my god david you saw taxi driver? I, i've seen
3: i've seen it yeah no, it's a real thing <laughs> i saw that i saw raging bull we didn't I mention see. schrader and king of comedy i don't know maybe
1: uh <laughs> you know we might have actually there but um Schrader, Paul Schrader is one of the major names of the 70s, the new Hollywood movement that I love to discuss so much. And, you know, he's not necessarily the household name of Scorsese and Coppola and and De Palma and all those guys, but, uh, you know, he was a big part of it behind the scenes. Also, you know, they all kind of collaborated with each other. And, uh, but Taxi Driver was such a, you know, one of the, top movies of that era and so influential that, you know, and he had, he had so many more on top of that, but, uh, this is kind of coming on the heels of that. So he's right at the height of his, uh, when this movie is released, he's still like right at the height of his, um, prowess, I would say. Uh, but you know, he's, his stories are re- usually really dark, very emotional, powerful films um, you know, d- d- deep psychological uh, plots, and usually some kind of commentary on on society, and you know, human interaction, and and uh, you know, just usually very dark uh, subject matter. So, David, you, you better like you need to buckle up when when getting ready for a Paul Schrader movie.
3: Oh, absolutely, I mean, this is not a this is not lighthearted. This is not an easy easy thing. You're gonna go through it. You can go through some shit with Paul Schrader. Yes. Yeah,
1: he's uh, he's definitely going to take you on a <laughs> dark psychological ride for sure. 100%. But this is his fourth screenplay. He, he had written the Yakuza, Taxi Driver, a film called Obsession, and then this comes right at the end of that. So all of those very, you know, here we go, dark, gritty movies, those gritty movies of the 70s. And, uh, you know, he's probably the grittiest of them all
2: yeah well and this one i mean this one at the time like the violence uh was intense you know even 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 speaking of some of these other movies that you that you mentioned you know like it was
1: like he was
2: pushing and pushing and pushing the yeah
1: yeah, and his, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about his version, his original version of this script right. was was even darker than <laughs> what we got, believe right. it or not. Uh, but yeah, he would he would push that envelope. And I, I think throughout his whole career, he always even to this day, like he he still pushes the envelope about, you know, he's not a um, Paul Schrader is not a uh, your average filmmaker. You know he's, I, I would categorize him much more in the artist side of things, sure. Not as far as David Lynch, you know, not as far as that, but um, you know, his movies are not going to have any more, they're not going to have like major releases in theaters with uh, you know, like United, you know, not United Artists, but you know, the um, what, what movie theater, what chain am I thinking of? What's in the Bur- Burbank? What's that? AMC? What's that? AMC. AMC, yeah. yeah. Like UA is long gone. What am I talking about? <laughs> dating,
2: dating yourself. I know. I'm, st- I'm stuck. And I'm stuck yeah. in
3: the '80s. But, Magic um, Johnson theaters. <laughs> <Yeah>. Is that <laughs> still a thing? Those are the ones. I don't think there are any. I think there's one. Isn't there one? I thought
1: there was one still. Oh, there,
3: there might be. Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, but it's funny because he grew up. Paul Schrader grew up as a strict Calvinist, a very religious family. He didn't even see. A movie until he was 18 what? And then it Yeah so and then it was it all sort of Exploded and, and then he was Obsessed with film obsessed with writing uh, Writing scripts writing Articles um, he
3: uh, You know was A
1: a he did a lot of film Commentary and that's sort of what opened the Door for him to get involved With Scorsese and, and a lot of The other characters he would end up Crossing paths with in the early 70s But um you know, and throughout that, as he made that journey, there was a lot of drug and alcohol influence in his work. And and I think you can kind of sense that a lot of pent up aggression and anger that comes out in most of his, especially in his earlier work and a little bit in his later work.
2: Yeah, he's mad. He didn't see any movies until he was 18. Yeah, too. <laughs> right.
1: I'd be mad. Um, all right, so this movie was written in 1973, uh, it, it was originally written for American International Pictures and Lawrence Gordon, who is a major, major producer, uh, produced, ended up with Fox and produced the Alien movies and, the, and Die Hard, a lot of the Joel Silver movies that were, were popular in the 80s and 90s. I think he got Joel Silver started. So um, major, major producer here uh, who was just starting his producing career. I think he was an executive before this and then was right here transitioning into actually producing films uh, for himself. So um, so he uh, Schrader pitches this to, to Lawrence Gordon in AIP. Gordon actually leaves and goes to Columbia and takes the script with him. So it's sort of in development for a long time. Um, it eventually lands over at Fox uh, and we'll, we'll kind of get to that part when we talk about the release of the movie. Um, and as usual, you know, it goes through a long development process and casting and who's going to direct it. And Schrader really wanted uh, John Milius to direct, who we've, we've talked about recently. We talked about Conan the Barbarian mm-hmm. and Red Dawn, both of which you can hear if you dial in to our uh, archives <laughs> at Where uh, You can find them there. Great episodes. Highly Check-
3: recommend call our 900 number yeah 100
1: reconciliation. dial up modem to get 1 909 9900 call that and <laughs> press three and then seven and then star is that the dion warwick hotline <laughs> It I... sure is holy shit
3: <laughs> how many times have you called that in your life uh, I call that nice. like
1: six times a week, just you, not on Sundays. Did you ever? Live.
3: Did you ever call a nine hundred number as a kid? Like those uh, were—they um, don't really exist anymore, right? So I probably—I probably called like the WWF one in the eighties. Yeah, I think I, I remember that. There was oh. a fresh, fresh prince and Jazzy Jeff one that I wanted to call. My, my, my parents wouldn't let me.
1: <laughs> what what would they tell you? Like what would what would they talk about on this?
3: I don't know. I mean, it was obviously it's a pre-recorded thing, but like I wanted to know what did what did Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff have to say about what's going on in the news today or or something or the weather or something? Like what do they? I I don't know. I, I've never called. I've never called the nine hundred number. One hundred percent. One hundred percent called one of the like.
2: Those uh, kind of adult uh, hotlines <laughs> when with some buddies during a, during a sleepover, 100%. How'd that go? How'd that end up? Oh, well, we didn't have a credit card, so it didn't go at all. <laughs> oh, we, oh, just sure. call- yeah. we just called and as soon as the, uh, you know, whatever voice on the other end was like, just need that credit card. It was like game over. Oh, like,
3: I just thought it, I you know, and this little point to that I've never called them. I just thought it would build to your phone like you know your home line phone so you just call it that's it i didn't know you needed to pay it i just thought your your I, phone bill
1: I, would have it i think no. probably when they started in like the 80s i i bet that's how it worked oh, but man. then as it got into the 90s and you know everyone started getting credit cards it probably morphed yeah. to something else yeah. so they can do that all right well
3: nice little tangent sorry thanks uh yeah. please dial our <laughs> 900 number for our our
1: latest episodes on Reiki Rolling Animation. Thunder. Uh, but anyway, so they, uh, so he really wanted John Milius to direct it, but Milius felt like this script was, was too dark, even for him, for Ooh. a guy who wrote Apocalypse Now. Even for him, he's like, this is much, yeah. too
3: much. <laughs> so, yeah, and,
1: and let's talk about the script itself. So, this is a story about a Vietnam veteran who's coming home who has spent seven years in as a POW and being, you know, actively tortured the entire time and is now coming home to his life and the the world sort of changed around him and Mm -hmm. his, his wife and son have sort of, or his son was a baby when he left and doesn't know him at all. And his wife, assuming he had been dead, had moved on to another man. And he's sort of trying to integrate himself into this when sort of all hell breaks loose and there's an extreme act of violence. Uh, His family is no longer a part of the story and he, his hand is no longer part of the story and he is uh, on a quest for revenge. So that's sort of, I mean, it starts
2: out like really, I mean, honestly, like that whole coming back and, and reuniting with the family, like it's all really compelling, you know, like I was, I, I found myself sitting there watching it and thinking like, you know, these, this like happened, you know, like this really, you know, like, I mean, this stuff happens where you're POW for extended periods of time. And like, you know, when he has that scene in the bedroom with his son and his son doesn't really know him. And he's like, do you, you know, he's asking him if he remembers him and, you know, he doesn't, but, you know, he was only 18 months old when he left for the war. And now the son is, you know, a full on, adolescent and it's just like man you know i can't even imagine yeah um having to process that and then it gets into the whole like the dark shit you know like i mean all that is very like sad and hard to process but then like you know this this trauma happens and it's like oh shit all right this is
3: rough yeah, I mean, he comes back to this life that it's, 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 he's just constantly on the outside. He's always on the other side of like a glass wall for his life, you know, and like time move forward for him and uh, for, for, for everyone else. And yeah, it's like, it's just this tragic thing of like what, what time and separation can do to, to relationships and people. Um, that, you know, and obviously like, pro- I think they, they kind of make it like, he had to hold on to his old life to survive. Right. I mean, it's right. sort of intimated as like his, his, his will to live comes from his wife and child that yeah. he left behind. And Absolutely.
2: And at the same time, he, he says, you know, like he's he, like, he, he doesn't have any like anger towards the fact that she moved on. Like he expected, yeah. it. he talks about, I like how him and the guys talked about how that was most likely the case. You know I mean? Yeah. It's such a long time to be, apart not knowing if your loved one is alive or dead i mean absolutely you you want what's best for your, for the people you love you know and and don't want them to to hold on hope for something that might not ever come to fruition right so
3: yeah. but man
2: talk about that's heavy shit man and
3: well, it's like one thing to like talk about it with your you know your fellow prisoners but then he has to go back he goes they all go back and yeah go back to their lives and have to, to view it i mean it's like the the trauma of being a POW and then the trauma of like, well, you're back in America and you're welcomed home and you're a hero and everything doesn't, nothing makes sense anymore. Like, so that's, that's like, yeah. So this is a movie that gets serious pretty quickly. And before the, even the big trauma happens, right. um, That, you know, you kind of want to, you want to see like a good outcome, right? You want to see like things will work out. Right. You, yeah. you kind of hope. <laughs> well, yeah, so I mean, Like he's like, you know, I mean,
2: one of the things when they're talking about like the divorce is that he's just like, I just don't want to lose my kid, even though he hasn't like been there, you know, like, and raised his kid. Like, he's like, I need to be there for my son. I need to be there for my son. You know? Cause like, that's still something that, you know, like he can grasp onto and be a father and, and like, start to be a part of of his life, you know? And so, yeah.
1: Well, it's, and it's really, it really is like two separate movies. You know, yeah. there, there's that, this first half that we're talking about right now, and then there's the other half. So, yeah. Then there's <laughs> let's, after. Let's divide it that way. So, yeah, I, I really love Devane's performance as, as Charles Rain uh, with just, he's so emotionless, which you know, I think was accurate to how, what was happening with a lot of these soldiers who were coming home after so much intense trauma for whatever their situation was over there that, you know, how do you go? And I guess it's not just Vietnam. It's, it's any war. Like you're trained to kill people and do these violent things. And you're seeing innocent people get killed, you know, sometimes all over the place. And then you're just supposed to turn that off and go back to, working in the factory or being a mailman and like living at home with your wife and, or, you know, or, and your, your child. And how do you do that? How do you just yeah. integrate yourself back in? It, it's not, it's not uh, <clears throat> as easy as they would make it seem like prior to Vietnam. Right. Um, and, and Schrader wrote the movie as a critique on you, the U S involvement in Vietnam and, the reaction of Americans to the soldiers coming home, and how you know how not everyone was supportive of the soldiers, and they would take out their anger for us getting involved on the, the soldiers. Who, you know, that's a whole political argument that we don't need to get into. But like, it's not their, you know, they're sort of the tool. It's not their. They didn't start this situation. They're the weapon that is being used. So, Well, right.
2: Well, I mean, like, ultimately, I mean, I know you don't want to get into the politics of it, but, like, you know, Schrader kind of separated himself from the movie, right? And I think one of the big quotes that he's said is that, you know, like, he made, he was trying to make a movie about fascism, and instead, like, they made a movie, a fascist movie, right? right? And so, you know, like, he's, he's, I don't think he's super stoked about how this ended up coming out but you know that aside like there's some still some really compelling stuff and and interesting things that especially this far separated now from from that time you know the vietnam war Mm -hmm. uh you know that are really interesting here
1: yeah and i mean his version was just much every level was darker you know uh charles rain was was a racist and a really unlikable character and was more similar to uh, the Travis Bickle character in taxi driver. And in fact, there's, there's stories that in one of his early drafts that Travis Bickle actually makes an appearance and has some kind of, you know, scene. Yeah. Uh, With. uh,
2: So it's like a connect, like it's part of the, the the universe. Yeah. Oh my God.
1: The Schrader-verse. Oh, the Schraderverse know. yeah. Every, everybody knows the, Shred- the Schrader-verse. Under the Schrader-verse, yeah. yeah. They, they do now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I think you're right. He, uh, you know, as as the movie went through development, the studio wanted to kind of lighten it up a little bit and at least make the w- William Devane character more likable and, and that an audience would want to see what happens to him. So, um, he does eventually sort of step back from the picture and it's rewritten by Haywood Gould uh, who, who does exactly that and kind of soft. I wouldn't say this is a soft movie, but softens it up from where it was. Um, right. And uh, we get John Flynn as the director. Uh, once Milius is, uh, uh, turns it down and, um, He had just done a movie called The Outfit, which is a cool kind of crime movie with Robert Duvall and Joe Don Baker and Karen Black. So, um, you know, and I think John Flynn is a really big part of, of the pacing of the movie. And which is, I think one of the things that I enjoy most about it is this really slow pace that is, it's a long, slow burn, but it's exactly what's happening with Charles Rain as well. So, You know, everything just sort of uh, takes its time and is very slow and kind of that first half, especially we're seeing this whole his whole world and, and, uh, you know, everybody involved with it until the the traumatic situation happens. And then then he slowly kind of descends into, I would say, kind of a madness.
2: Well, just, I mean, an obsessed, an obsessed single purpose, right? Like it's all about. Avenging
1: yeah, you know it's that the that death quest of his family, for, right? That quest yeah. for revenge.
3: He becomes quietly focused. Um on, on yeah, re- straight up revenge. Everyone has to die and everyone that was involved, and more so <laughs> that has to, everyone has to die for or, you know they took the they took the one thing he could hang on. You know I don't know if they I, I don't know if it's effective. Like I mean I think or maybe it was just because it would be so natural to be like, well of course they killed his son. Like this you know that 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 that's going to drive anyone to revenge. And so because it's not like he had a great connection with his son, he was trying and 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 he stated how much that you know he didn't he his son was going to be in his life or whatever mm-hmm. in the divorce, but it's, it's not like, I don't know. It's, I, I feel like you, you in a more modern, in a more, mo, in a modern way, you would have seen, you would try to establish either a better relationship or a better, um, you know, something between them to make it, to make his revenge even more poignant. Um, not to say that it isn't effective or it, it fails in that way at all. Cause I don't, I don't think it does that at all, but you know, it's just like, he, he was trained to be a killer <laughs> and then he's doing what he's doing because he lost his son uh, not, and not, um so he, beca- he, he kind of uh, defaults to this like weird kind of position that I don't know. I don't even know if he's like human at, at, a, at a certain point. Yeah. yeah. Well, I do mean, they, emotion- do they t- emotionless. Yeah.
2: Do they talk about what
1: his position in the military is? I think he was a pilot. He like he okay. hadn't actually they, they mentioned that he he never even fired a shot in the war before oh, right. he was captured. So
2: well that makes sense because I was trying to figure out like how what rolling thunder meant. And I guess in in the Vietnam War, Rolling Thunder was the aerial attack that the US launched against uh
1: Vietnam during yep. that time. So okay. That all right, I that makes it. more sense. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, once he, once he does move back in with his family, his wife admits that she's, and she's married another, or she's uh, going to marry, uh, the sheriff's deputy cliff, who is, you know, he's a good guy. Like it's a difficult situation for everybody. Like they thought he was dead. So she had, you know, just moved on from him really. And then now he's back, but She's fallen in love with with Deputy Cliff. Who um, that scene where where he gets Cliff to sort of torture oh, yeah. him is uh, yeah. is that is a messed up scene?
2: Yeah, oh. uh, absolutely. I mean, well, uh, throughout the entire beginning of the movie and up to this point, like you see the flashbacks of him at the POW camp and like some of the terrible things that they're doing. And there's yeah, like these these. Uh, scenes of torture where they're basically like tying his arms up and, and wrenching his arms up. And like, he's describing it as like, you know, you can hear the, the bones and the muscle, like tearing and cracking. And so, yeah, he's asking after he's found out that his wife is in love. And he asked her to marry him and that he's been raising his child. He asked Cliff to do this. And it's like, I think it's a very dark like revealing kind of like this is you know like such a like terrible place for your mind to be having coming back for him having come back from that war that he, now this person who's basically stolen his life he's also asked to torture him you know because yeah. in some way there's like this very twisted sad comfort in the familiarity of that action right and it's just like man it's really really you know,
1: and uh, it's heavy. It's tough. it's re- it's yeah. really hard to watch, and it's intense. And you know, he's just he's so emotionless, and you can see, and you can understand why, because he he says later on in the movie that they he's dead, like he's no longer sees himself as a living person. That uh, yeah, he yeah. he died in prison there, and he's just this shell that is continuing to exist somehow. Um, but, uh, you know, and those scenes with his son are like very sweet and sort of as tender as he can get. And, um, you know, when I saw it, my kids were like right around the same age. So when the tragedy happens, which we're going to talk about right now, it's was shocking, like just beyond shocking to me. And, and I think why the movie dug so deep with me is like I could it really Identify with that sort of level of of yeah. uh, how horrible that would be, but um, you know it's so random that that he's being celebrated by the town and he's being celebrated as a hero and he's given these what it's like three thousand dollars in gold or like yeah coins. I mean he's given he's given a Cadillac and then they also give him these silver dollars it's like
2: it's like right. close to three thousand it's for every day that he was. A prisoner in the POW camp. They gave him basically yeah. a silver dollar. And it ends up being like two thousand seven hundred and something. Uh, okay. and of course, the you know, it's a big publicity thing. And so they broadcast it and some group of
1: it's
2: evildoers. A, yeah, see it's it. like a gang. And they're like, they're like, Oh, we want your silver dollars.
1: Yeah. And he so they have broken into his home and ambush him and just really are just trying to, you know, steal the money. And that was it. But he, you know, is resistant to them and they torture him. And he's sort of having, you know, it's kind of like First Blood with Rambo, where he's having these flashbacks to to being tortured. And unfortunately, his family walks in at the worst possible time and um you know they they are forced to watch him be tortured his you know his hand is i'll never look at a garbage disposal I mean, yeah, the same he's,
2: way he's given them nothing right he's frustrating yeah. he's frustrating them and they you know like they stick his hand in the, the disposal and it's just like i mean it's brutal right yeah. I, yeah I don't know john i don't know like do you think that they were not planning on do you think do you think they were just gonna go take the money and leave? yeah and I, and that's I, why everybody ended up worse off is because of of that because i I just kind of got the sense that how quick they turned to kill the wife and his son, you know, like to me, it seemed like that was probably the ultimate like exit strategy for them anyway but i but I don't know.
1: I think the original plan was was just to get the money and hopefully like, they were gonna, you know, he was gonna cave and give in to them right away. That was what they were hoping. But at the minute that the wife and son walked in the room, or the ex-wife and son walked in the room, I think they knew they were they had to kill him. It was too many, too many witnesses, and it had, because he had resisted so much, they'd gone too far.
2: Yeah. Okay, so,
1: right. the, and they, you know, this is this is the famous thing about this movie is that you know his hand is um, brutally uh, ground up. And you know, the, he has to improvise after that, but uh, well, yeah, ultimately actually, shot... he gets
2: a prosthetic with with right the hook,
1: a hook, so. yeah, a hook hand, and which he uses, yes, he sh- certainly does. Sure he, um, they actually shot a much gorier scene. I mean, that, that really isn't that gory at all, all things considered, right? Um, but they did shoot a much gorier version of it where you see, you know the end result of what his hand actually looks like. Yeah. Whereas in this version, you really don't see anything. It's just, no, it's all... much more
2: implied. I mean, and then yeah. even like when they pull his hand out, they quickly give him like a dish rag to cover it. Right. Yeah. So like, you don't really see any or much of the aftermath at all, but, but you understand what, what happened.
1: Right. So, you know, then the son ends up revealing where the coins are because he had seen it, and then as soon as they have them, they execute the wife and son and and shoot him. And they try to shoot. Yeah. yeah. They try. He should have died as well, but right. he, yeah. he did not. So, again, it's like if he wasn't dead inside before, this, you know, seals the deal. So yeah. Yeah. then we shift to the second half of this movie where he ends up recovering from his wounds and and is on a quest for revenge although he denies it at first and it takes a little bit to see where he's going but uh you see him you know he's got his hook and he's sharpening it up and he's recruits a
2: couple friends and he goes out yep with a purpose yeah with this new purpose
1: right and then it's uh it's sort of, I guess, an allegory for Vietnam here as well, where it's, you know, what some people viewed us as just waltzing in. And instead of the Vietnamese, it's the you know, it's it's like a Mexican cartel that he's going after and just blasting everybody. And yeah, and he's not like, you know, he's not like it's not portrayed like Rambo, where you just, you know, waltz in and just machine gun everybody down like he's got it. He's in some pretty intense fights. Where yeah. it's like, he's not really winning, but he ends up, you know, you know, getting away with it in, in the end.
3: Yeah, it's structured like you don't know if, when when he might be gunned down or lose. Right. And, you know, it doesn't, yeah. he's not he's not this like heroic kind of figure. He's he's just sort of a machine going through and you but you don't know how if he's going to win. <laughs> right. Um, and, you know, he and Tommy Lee Jones take some shots. um i thought i thought they would just i thought they were going to die just like die in a blaze of 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 gunfire it sure
2: could have ended that way for sure right yeah i mean that would
3: have been the ending like that like that's the
2: whole thing like his superpower at this point is that he has absolutely nothing left to lose so why like what's the you know like he could absolutely sacrifice himself for the cause
3: yeah
1: right well is this sort of i think you know is the message sort of he achieves his goal you know by the end he's you know they've they've taken out they've gotten their revenge, or he's gotten his revenge and he's cleared out that whole group is this sort of a rebirth for him you know can he can and we never know we'll never know the answer you'll never know the credits start rolling on their exit (laughs) until in 2022 Rolling (sighs) Thunder 2 um isn't it funny how a bunch of William
3: Devane though like looks like, like when John McCain
1: came back to Yeah.
3: Like as a young man, as a POW. Well, I, I like, think
1: that was I think McCain was sort of an influence on the on the story here. I mean, because yeah. that was such a highly publicized real version of this.
3: Yeah, of course. Know? I mean, McCain didn't go on a m- revenge murder spree, but that we know of. That we um, know of. That we. <laughs> have. But like, he just. I mean, you know, young military guys—they all kind of look the same, though. I guess too. But I don't know. He just. Uh, he just the 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 hair, the feathery mm-hmm. the feathery locks, the the just the, and the way his face is shaped. I mean, it was just like wow. This, yeah. He, he's he's channeling young John McCain.
1: Um, <laughs> David, you just kind of like casually mentioned it, but. Tommy Lee Jones also making his debut. Yeah, his debut animation. We haven't had him on the show. Yes, I don't think so. Wasn't he in
3: Jaws? <laughs> Wasn't he in Jaws? <laughs> I don't remember. Oh, uh, yeah, no, Tommy Lee Jones, uh, an actual young version of of him. Yeah, uh, and he looks so young here too. He's young. He's jacked. He's
1: you know. He's yeah. just he's ready to. He's ready to fucking
3: go, dude.
1: <laughs> and and he's another POW who's who came home with with Charles Rain and, yep. uh, but lives you know lives in a in a separate town, and you know is also you can tell struggling to integrate himself and and when it's time for. Uh, William Devane to go on his revenge quest. He he recruits Tommy Lee, who is more than happy to join up. Yeah, and... he's like, yeah, get <laughs> me
3: out of here. Let's go. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Without question, he packs his bag, changes his, yeah. his clothes. He's
3: like, I'm out. Bye. Yep. Unlike
2: unlike his other companion, who just at first has no clue what's going on and seems to, uh, in in a way, just have been a little bit kidnapped by the situation because of her. Uh, Kind of crush on him, and then and then, yeah, kind of Linda ends Haynes up, ends up going going with it.
1: Yeah, yeah. What and what a interesting relationship and dynamic they have. That she was sort of like a super fan and obsessed with him, and you know really is there for him, and and right. they end up in a relationship and joins him on this and helps him with his recovery and then ends up joining him unknowingly on this quest for revenge. And he like uses her to like open the door for where these guys are. And then he'll come in and clear the room, shall we say? Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah,
2: she's great too. I mean, I like, you know, her, that scene where they're out like shooting guns by the river, you know, I'm like, it kind of convinces me that, Oh yeah. Like I get why she, is into him and also, you know, why she would, why she would help, you know? And
3: so, uh, she's, she,
2: she does a great job.
3: Yeah. She thinks that, you know, it, like without her, like it, you don't have a compelling character, right? Like it, you, you need to play what he is doing off someone that regardless of her motivations and all that, like, in, you know, you need to see like how he really is. Yeah. keeps him grounded. Him. Right.
1: Like, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, and it's, that's sort of like who the audience is going to identify with because th- she represents us, that we're on that journey with him too, and we don't really know where he's going. So, right? yeah. Uh, but yeah, really great performance by her. Um, you know, there's a couple of names in those, uh, the, the villain group uh, led with uh, the Texan, who's played by James Best, who yeah. every single person listening to this would know. From the Dukes of Hazard as Roscoe P. Coltrane. <laughs> Every single person. Everyone. <laughs> I don't all, know. They're all sure. Dukes fans. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I, it was so strange seeing him in a serious role. And he was, he's like a, a legendary acting coach and acting teacher uh, that was very influential behind the scenes. But to to many of us, he was always... Roscoe P. Coltrane, that silly, you know, sheriff who was always after the Duke boys and could never get them for right. years and years and years. Yeah, yeah, and he kind of like looks the same here, talk, <laughs> sounds the same, except he is a He's horrible, one murderer.
2: mean, mean mother effer, man. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, and then we have uh, uh, Luke Askew, who plays Automatic Slim who uh, is in a lot of 70s, he's an easy rider. He's a face that pops up kind of all over the place. I want to say he's in Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, uh, but he's you see him a lot throughout the 70s and uh, all really good at a, another horrible human here. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, but, uh, you know, circling back to Tommy Lee Jones, like this is, I think, the first major role for him. And, yeah. uh, you know, his career, just like William Devane, those guys are being poised to be you know, the next Warren Beatty's and Jack Nicholson's. And they're sort of following that wave and their careers are they're planning to be launched like those guys. Um, and it didn't obviously Tommy Lee Jones really took off. I mean, he had a lot of solid roles. But what was it that really put him? Right at the top as an A list guy. I mean, it was something before The Fugitive, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, right? Because the Fugitive, like that was the movie that okay, now he's nominated for Oscars, and he's like all the way up at that level. He I'm was trying in to remember un- what... he was
2: in Under Siege, he was in um JFK, hmm. which yeah. was kind of a, a big popular one.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, all right around the same time, like yeah, 9192. Well,
2: exactly all right all right around the same time but i mean also the i think it might have been uh the the tv like the miniseries lonesome dove which was like Mm -hmm. extremely popular when it came out at the time like it was kind of a big event miniseries that i think uh led to kind of the jfk stuff uh but fugitive was i think the the that's like the first one where he's like kind of the the big lead, right? Mm-hmm. Where where he's the big name attached. I mean, with well with Harrison hey. Ford,
1: yeah, yeah. They're sort of like you know the co-leads of it. Yeah,
3: yeah. But yeah. I
1: mean, right after this, he's got the Eyes of Laura Mars and Coal Miner's Daughter, the Executioner's Song. So Black Moon Rising is a cool movie. Um, he he did a movie called This uh, The Park Is Mine, where he's like also a vietnam vet who takes over essentially like central park and like locks it down and nobody can get in and uh it's another <laughs> oh it's a, it's a, it's Is a, that like an assault on precinct 13 type kind of yeah type yeah. movie um, it has it has
2: that kind of sound to it
1: yeah but uh you know obviously a solid career and then he became a huge star by the early 90s so um, but this I mean is yeah, just he plays Two
2: Face in Batman and Robin.
1: So oh don't forget that. No, Batman Forever.
2: But, oh, sorry, sorry,
1: Batman right. Forever. Don't you okay. don't you dare confuse? I those how two.
2: how how did I not
1: how did I get that confused? Um, but yeah, so you know, solid performances by everybody across the board. But David, let's start with you. What did you think? What did you, how did you feel about like the general tone of this movie? Were you like was the pacing too slow was the build too slow for you and were you or were you too shocked when it you know switched gears
3: uh no i uh no i don't think the pacing's all, i mean i think it's like totally it's all very consistent you know it's just a it's a it's it's got its own rhythm um i didn't yeah i mean I, you know if you don't go in not really thinking if you go in not really thinking about what the movie's supposed to be about like it's like you know the family gets murdered and it's like oh what the hell oh jesus like now now this is what i'm gonna deal with so, like it was rough that was rough uh yeah and um but like you know it the movie takes so much time with with him and and dealing with like what he's going to do going forward and um with uh with with uh uh linda haynes mm-hmm. um that like you know that it and it takes its time like you you, you know what it's going to build to but you don't know how it's going to really go off and when you think like well there was only like four or five four guys or five guys in the house that does, right but like it ends up like he's going to kill the entire gang of guys like 30 right. guys yeah <laughs> it's just like oh jesus like it, it sounds it's it sounds like an inevitable kind of you know death sentence like they're gonna die like yeah there's no coming back from this even if they even if they live i guess but it just doesn't you know i did not expect them to live at the end of the movie so uh but good for them i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm happy for them i guess i don't know
2: <laughs> i mean when you and when you think about it like it's like all this happened over not really that much Money, right? Like, I mean, there's there's silver dollars. I mean, a silver dollar today is worth about twenty to twenty to twenty five dollars, right? Like, oh, I mean, it's it's a lot, but in seventy seven, not worth as much, right? You know, was it worth a dollar? It no, it was worth it was worth more because it's it's like I mean, if they're if they're like true, you know, like silver dollars, then they're they're you know, it's an ounce of of silver, and you know, like that has
3: value to it but yeah yeah you know i don't is know this, it's, is everything we saw like in the movie Does that does that feel very texan to you print like, yeah brent that, talk about like, texas for a while was there a texas like feeling to this or is it just not that not that not that you you're the purveyor of all all culture of texas at all times in every region of texas but I mean, it felt more like small town Texas than it did. Like
2: I grew up outside Houston, right? So, yeah. But I did spend time in small towns growing up in Texas, and it, it had much more of that feeling. Like that, you know, like when the community's bringing him in and giving him like the Cadillac, and and you know they're presenting him with the money, and like you know having basically the whole town like there at the airport as he returns and that kind of stuff. Like I, I could absolutely see that kind of thing happening in some of the smaller towns in in Texas, you know, but like, you know, once you get to a big city, big cities, big city, wherever you go, you know, like there's just, there's so much going on. So, you know, like it's, it's a, it's got a life of its own, you know? Mm-hmm. So those kind of things may have happened, but not, I don't think that to the same extent um that you see in this where it's in the small town and 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 all that. Now yeah. as far as people breaking in to steer your silver dollars, you know, never experienced any of that growing up. Right. Definitely shot some guns by the river. That seems pretty Texan. <laughs> that seems Texan, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, you know, but uh yeah, I mean parts
1: Well, so. they they shot it, they shot it around San Antonio.
2: Yeah so absolutely so San it's tone
1: San tone
2: San tone
1: um so yeah i i mean this coming from a new yorker and then uh, then a californian <laughs> it felt very texan to me oh yeah <laughs> but you also thought that i rode a fucking horse to school as a child so <laughs> yep yeah you di- wait you didn't you that's because you told me you did no, 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 no.
2: Like third question you asked me after, "What is your name? Where are you from?"
1: Did you ride? Did a you
2: ride a horse, horse to school? Like that? I in remember New York,
1: distinctly. That, that's what we're taught about Texans. Is, I know. Yeah, but Brent, You're not you the asked the only
2: person who's told me that.
3: No. You asked John if he sprayed graffiti on subway cars.
2: Oh, I didn't uh, have to ask because, like, he had already graffitied half the half yeah, of the, his room.
1: The can was in my backpack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Typical New York. And, and Brent's half of the room was already. <laughs> Spray paint, out. so yeah. yeah there was Tagged. three di- there's four or five different objects in the shape of texas and mm-hmm. or a longhorn that's right yeah <laughs> that was me trying to like you know meet in the middle here yeah it worked i got a spray paint but i'll do it with texas images so
2: <laughs> his big reach was just you know he was trying to bond by playing dallas every morning
1: there yeah was- yeah that that can't be There's only one theme song to wake up to and it's the Dallas every day for a semester
2: and and a semester and a half, really. But yeah, that was incredible Uh, by the way.
1: (laughs) Uh, All right. So the, so many of the seventies movies and something I think they captured so well here that we already kind of talked about is that, that post Vietnam, Trauma that everyone was Sort of experiencing on different levels Uh, You know you have movies like Deer Hunter you've got You know there's, there's so many movies that feel Like they are connected To even Taxi Driver in a way Sort of like connects to what was going On from either Soldiers point of view or People who were at home and Dealing with family members Who were either killed or Coming back and they're completely different People and Um, you know, traumatized. I think this is one of a really, um, I I think this and deer hunter are really kind of, to me, some really significant movies that get that message across uh, really strongly. Did, um, did you guys feel that way that, that they really nailed it? Do you feel like they, it was, it was hitting you over the head too hard with it?
3: Um. You know, it, it's tough being so far removed from what what America was like, you know, post-war and all of that. And in that term, you know, we're, you know, even growing up uh, with the Iraq War, the first Iraq War and the post 9-11 um, war that I guess is kind of almost over. <laughs> uh, the yeah, war, The war on terror. But like, you know, those those traumas of, of people having to go to Vietnam, I mean, with a draft and all of that, like, you know, it's like it was a whole different different
1: world. Um, it, it, it was. It's such right. a, it, it was such a different that war in particular was so different than the others before and after it. I mean, yeah. you know, now there's so much uh, support for soldiers and and helping them deal with their not just their physical problems, but their emotional side too, you know, there's just more of a support net for them. Whereas with Vietnam, it felt like there was nothing and there was so much anger, anger at Nixon, anger at the government. And people were taking it out on the soldiers who were just kind of going from one hell to a different version of hell for some of them.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, 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 you know, I don't think you have to be an ideologue to, to be, service member and and go volunteer to fight or be a part of that but to come home and and you know have to live in a a country that seems to almost reject you um well and some of them didn't even forget you you
2: want to fight it's not like they enlisted like they were drafted right yeah sure yeah
1: yeah Yeah, i mean and so many of them were teenagers yeah you know that that's you have to remember that too again about this one that you know people are going in there and they're like 17 or something and or i you know i don't i don't remember exactly what the age cutoff was where where they started recruiting but it was 11 i think 11 yeah 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 if i was yeah i i'd round up some 11 year olds for sure if i was uh (laughs) well they're wily they could they could get into little little like you know they're hard to shoot because they're not so big and you get cranky teens you just drop cranky, teens, cranky to, teens to drop their crankiness on on whoever and
3: but i mean you know it's a, it is like this thing of like you know young people having to go in and like to turn them into to, to go through the training and to to put them in that situation and you know it's like as though like the 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 mission is the most important thing when you're not if you're not in it like well they're doing it for a good reason or whatever and it's just the emotional and traumatic psychological toll on them is, is incalculable. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, to see, so to see these seventies movies that like, you know, want to touch on like what, what this trauma like led to, um, you know, and, and sort of give a physical like representation of how terrible it all was. You know, mm-hmm. I think the, it seems like, it's an important movie to, to make uh, yeah. to, to tell the story um, yeah. yeah I
1: mean uh, another one I want to mention is coming home Hal Ashby's coming home is is such a uh, another deep like psychological look at it and 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 that would only really last like you know just barely into the 80s and then after Rambo like <laughs> whole sh- there's a whole there's a whole shift where it's just yeah. a different kind of revenge it's go go back to Vietnam and go get the POWs and go, you know, wreck everybody over there and get revenge. And uh, so there's a complete tonal shift where it's much more action oriented. And so many of the, you know, the missing in action movies and uh, where you're not really dealing with the emotional side, it's much more of a straight action kind of deal.
2: Well, and this kind of opened the, I mean, this kind of, maybe there were more before this, but this seemed to be kind of the first one of the revenge like returning from war type movies right Mm -hmm. i mean this is certainly not the the first revenge movie ever i mean there were you know plenty before this and and others after you know like i mean just last house on the left comes to mind you know things like spit on your grave like all those kind of like crazy crazy movies um but this was the first one that wasn't just like, kind of like this weird meant to be like a horror movie. Um, you know, at least those others were like kind of horror movies. This one, you know, was more rooted in kind of like you were saying, John, the kind of the trauma of war and and coming back to that and like that detachment that you have after, after going through something like that and then thinking you're coming home to, to something and then being, you know then having that taken away
1: yeah 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 the the revenge movie is a whole sort of subgenre of i guess sort of a mix of action and and drama um i there's some there's a lot of and they can range in tone too like the revenge movie can can be this it can be carrie it can be princess bride (laughs) like it uh Yeah, you know it's like it but it's such a it's such a um strong tool for a character to have to like really quickly get you behind that character yeah what's uh what's your guys what's some of your guys favorite doesn't have to be in any order or anything but some revenge movies that come to come to mind that you you're a fan of i'll I'll start (laughs) okay i'm gonna say point blank with lee marvin 1967 it's sort of a crime crime revenge movie later essentially remade as payback with uh by you know starring mel gibson uh point blank is a great great film directed by john borman who did deliverance uh if you're a lee marvin fan it's a must watch um there's some great sequences it's very 60s it's also some kind of quintessential la things there's a great chase through the LA river, you know that that uh same place you'd see in Terminator 2 and a million other movies, but uh great great movie. I also really enjoy Payback. Um I think that was a solid remake of it that that uh they really nailed the tone in a modernized version of it. But yeah, I'll I'll say it too, Princess Bride. Inigo Montoya, the whole revenge subplot. So, yeah star trek 2 the wrath of khan sure total revenge movie
2: uh yeah makes sense i was like i mean i don't know there's a ton of different like the revenge movie (laughs) there like you mentioned just runs a ton of different there's all sorts of different paths to to the revenge movie yeah Um, who's
1: who's getting revenge is it a right. hero is it a villain like it could go any yeah. direction so
2: like a couple you know like I like Mad Max I think that's a good one mm-hmm. I like uh. the outlaw Josie Wales is yeah. another one that's uh, that sticks out to me one that's recent which is kind of more like throwback is actually a movie called Revenge which came out in 2017 and like it's kind of the throwback to the I spit on your grave type mm. type revenge movies but I you know like that was kind of uh uh, a surprise One that you know because I hadn't really Seen one Recently that kind of stuck out but
1: Yeah oh you know one I just re- recalled and we Actually covered it recently Once upon a time in the west The whole Charles Bronson storyline mm-hmm. So um, by the way yeah. you can hear That episode in our archives At www.reconsignation.com If you missed that one
2: yeah, and Death Wish. Speaking of Bronson, that's yeah. another. That's oh another, yeah, I mean,
1: I guess he sort of after that, kind of after Death Wish, was sort of the king of the revenge. Movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, The Sting. The Sting's another one. The Sting. Yeah, I like that yeah. movie. And, you, and you already
2: mentioned Carrie, but that's a that's a also you know, great. I mean, that's yeah. the thing. Like, there's so many different boxes uh, that that the revenge movie can kind of fit into. That you know, it's uh i mean princess Bride like you said i mean, like comedies horror
3: yeah action so uh i watched john wick for the first time 2 years ago john Absol- wick absolute terrible terrible no, fucking no, movie absolute No Munchak. garbage it's so fresh. fight it out Trash ass movie. Fuck that. Never never watching a John Wick movie. I couldn't even finish it. I couldn't finish it. it turned it off. Well,
2: that's the problem. Finish the damn movie. Oh, it's terrible. Say a movie's terrible and haven't not finished it. I could not I I
3: hated every second of it. Like, I can't. What do you want me to do? I can't.
2: How do you hate every second of that movie?
1: Gross. That's the whole
3: thing. Was it was it
1: just Keanu's hair that was bothering you?
3: No, it's just 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 exploitive, violent garbage. I couldn't oh believe God. and I wanted to love it. Oh I've said this on yes. other episodes. I oh wanted goodness. to I'm like this is right up my alley. Can't read with a like gun killing dudes, I
1: guess. Like, yeah. It's totally it was fun. Super- gun kata
2: just all over the place. I'm like, down. Kill counts out the ass, like but oh, it was no.
1: super, super successful. So
3: yeah. another people love it. Place. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm I'm the outlier. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I
1: honestly like I I have not seen it because dude, we well, we we've talked about this on the no show, no. John's I, not gonna like it. Yeah, or yeah, he'll love it. it. He's
3: gonna love it. <laughs> he's probably gonna, love
1: it. He's gonna so love it. So like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> dude, you're gonna love this movie. John's not gonna like it, or he's gonna love it. <laughs> yeah. I know I like I I'm I can't see John Wick I will I will watch I will watch the first one at some point soon give it a so, shot
2: they're all on Apple
1: guys on my Apple account so if, if, I, they're there if for I you to if I tried Space Jam 2 I could certainly try John Wick <laughs>
2: Dude you should see John you should see all 3 John Wick's
1: 75 times before you watch Space Jam 2 <laughs> Um, really,
2: man. i can't believe that
1: was a couple of, would would you say you know we talked about dabney coleman earlier this being yeah, part of uh the dabney coleman universe as well cinematic universe the dccu yeah. that commonly talked discussed um nine to five would you say was that a revenge movie would you yeah, or is it just of. shy of it
3: so, yeah yeah you know,
1: taking revenge on the boss
3: yeah the boss or the sexist uh uh, overbearing boss, absolutely. Corporate America, mm, get him. I think, yeah, yeah, hundred percent, yeah. That's a great revenge movie, uh, and we'll have to look at that one. Uh, I mean, soon.
2: in the nineteen the eighties, Revenge of the Nerds, which doesn't hold up and is terrible, but yep. oh my God. yeah, it
1: exists. Oh, brutal. That's they a brutal do get movie revenge on those jocks. Yeah, uh, Kill Bill.
2: God, it's terrible. Kill Bill? Bill, super
1: yep. revenge movie.
2: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: Yeah. But yeah, so so the tone can really change. The genre can change, but it's always a good, you know, for a writer, like that's an easy tool to use to to drive your story, to motivate your characters and, um, so, you know, to build your whole world around. So uh, this being, I would still say this Rolling Thunder being one of the darker ones that's out there. Yeah. Because there's really, there's just no, there's no light at, at the end of the tunnel, kind of anywhere here, that everywhere he turns, it's just darker and darker and darker, and then, you know, revenge is is gained, villains are killed, uh, but what do you have left?
3: And yeah. are they going to,
1: I mean, they're, they're pretty, you know, D- Devane and Tommy Lee Jones are pretty shot up at the end. Uh, do you feel like they're going to survive, or... I, I feel like they're gonna make it at least Devane is gonna make it.
3: Yeah, I, I thought I thought Tommy was gonna bleed out um, but like they both end up walking out like it's it doesn't it, and I, I guess I get it. It's like it doesn't matter if as soon as they walk out of that door, whether or not they die because like mission it's basically mission accomplished. like right. it's not about what the life what their lives were gonna be like after it was done. It was about what needed to be done in their mm-hmm. eyes. Yeah. Um, their
2: life is still just as empty after they're done. Yeah.
3: Yeah. They just now so, don't
2: have a purpose. I do think they survive, though, just because they're yeah. tough as nails and survived in the POW camp for seven yeah. years.
3: Yeah. There's, yeah. I don't, I don't see how they don't survive, but it and like, but whatever their lives are after, don't they, don't matter in the context of this story,
1: you know? And it's
3: right. But like, you do want to, as a viewer, you kind of want to know more, like what, what, what would have, what would have happened to them? <laughs>
1: like, I, I wouldn't mind seeing, I don't know, you know, whether it's a Tarantino movie or, or whatever, where Charles rain is like a supporting character who's, you know, you see Devane now as an, as an older man, you know, what, 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 would what would his character have done with the rest of his life? Like, yeah, Could he a reset it? Store? <laughs> yeah. Maybe a hardware store. Um, <laughs> Could, could he reset himself and kind of start over again? Or is it just living a life of solitude and and um, loneliness? Yeah. It's really weird. It's really funny that, like, you know, he had met
3: um, Linda Haynes. This, this
1: movie's really funny. You're right, David.
3: It's no, like, Linda <laughs> Haynes is in the movie. Like, and she, you know, she shows up and then, like, the only time you see William Devane like, smile or have a personality is when she pops in and Tommy Lee Jones was there like, you know, and he's like, he's kind of personable and like, yeah, come on in, like come, come talk and hang out. And like, that's the only time you see. And I wonder like, did they shoot that scene first? Then he didn't quite have the character down. Like I just, it, it almost seems like, you know, and as much as he has a connection with her as the movie progresses and everything, it was this like odd thing where there he's joyless and, you know, kind of emotionless throughout, but and his, you know, his politeness comes off almost as like a crazy, you know, he's like smiling almost and just like, hey, come on in talk, talk, um, which is just like a normal thing. But I, I don't think so. To, so to me, that was just really off putting. It's like a, it's a weird scene. I'm not sure what it means. Like, did he well, really well, like her? Did he like is he was he putting on a show for, for his fellow POW guy? Like what? You know what? What was he doing there? Um, I find it really fascinating because it doesn't really match the rest of, of yeah. his character.
1: I, I mean, was it that he's sort of trying to like lure her in a little bit so that she's going to be a mm. another tool in his arsenal?
3: Oh, that could be. Right. Or oh, that's probably weapon right. sort of.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So he just he, he ropes her. He ropes her in. Yeah.
3: Oh, you're that right. he
1: knows she's got a thing for him, so he just turn you know falsely turns on the charm, hmm. so huh. that you know, to, to get her in sort of in his web. I think he, I think he cracked it. You mm. think, yeah.
3: You know, I'm, I'm in film studies one-on-one. You're going three-oh-one right here. <laughs> we're in different classes right you're now. Just, you're just teaching me everything I need to know. Um, um, but no, actually that makes sense. That's probably exactly what, if, if you were to like put a read on it on that scene and, and in the context of the rest of the movie, that's probably what's going on. He's, yeah. Yeah. He's
1: luring her in. He's and 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 with her. that being said, what do you think happens after the movie's over? Do you think they reconnect? You think he goes back to her?
3: I don't know. I wonder, I wonder if she, that, that, that after, by the end, like she's, the spell is broken for her, you know, <laughs> like, could be, yeah. You know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to get a read on her completely. You
1: yeah. Know? That's a pretty, uh, you know she's seeing very quickly sees a very different side of him and is that something she can still she does she she commits to him until yeah. he he leaves her you know he strand leaves her stranded at the one of those motels so yeah. you know i could see them getting back together if he if he goes to her
3: yeah. right
2: well i mean if he does it gives him purpose again right mm-hmm. like
3: you know
1: yeah maybe that's the one sliver of hope he's got left.
3: Yeah. What about Cliff though? Just get like trying to track him down and finding him like you know on the trail getting kind of close to finding him and just getting murdered like this yeah. this this other thing that happens that he has no knowledge of like you know like what what he's doing has led to Cliff like you know I mean it's it, you know it's Cliff who made the choice to like track him down and all that but it's like there's this other tragedy that just happens, yeah. Um, where you know,
1: Cliff yeah, the, just dies. The sad tale of Cliff. I mean, yeah, he's he's the deputy who's using his own resources to hunt to track down. I think both the the gang and Charles Rain to see yeah. where where he's gone off to, knowing yeah. what he's doing, and then he finds them pretty quickly, and then tries to take them on, and it's just too many. He puts up a good fight, yeah. I
3: thought maybe he was going to get away from there, you know, and then, yeah, yeah. He knocks a couple dudes out with his gun and then just, 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 it's just cold blooded murder, man. Like just, and that's, that's, that's tough. That's tough for me. I'm like, you know, he was just kind of doing kind of Cliff's fault though. I mean, Oh, a hundred. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like, he's going into come a on, buddy. he's ch- he's chasing these guys down, you know, knowing he's dealing with murderers or whatever gang members and stuff, yeah, yeah. But it's just still like, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, what's his motivation? Is he just trying to like stop, stop uh, William Devane from doing the wrong thing? I, I think
1: that's it? the it. I think, I think that's the initial thing is to to stop Devane's character, yeah, I guess so, yeah.
3: So he's just trying to be like kind of a a friend and a and a cop to him, and then, uh, but they're
2: just, not friends.
1: Like you know, like that's well, well they yeah. they kind of. I mean, it's inferred that they were friendly with each other before he went to war, and then, but I think they are sort of a little bit bonded that they've both lost a wife and a child. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like because Cliff has been a surrogate father and husband while while uh, Charles Rain's been gone. So whether they are on the same page with each other or not, they both have the same reaction and have the same tr- shared tragedy. Yeah.
3: Maybe he just wants to join him to get the revenge. Yeah. Maybe he would have teamed up. Yeah. It's like, I, hey, I, buddy, need a partner? I kind yeah. of assumed that that's what was going to happen. He was going to maybe bring him, bring Cliff into... His darkness. Now um, he
1: went with the heavy hitter with Tommy Lee. <clears throat> oh, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Lars, Larson Driscoll played Cliff. Yeah.
3: Cliffs, S- S- uh, say that
1: name five times fast. Larison. Yeah. Uh, poor Cliff.
3: Poor, <laughs> poor
1: Cliff. Uh, all right. So the movie comes out and they start screening it for audiences. And the test audiences really were not into the movie. I mean they had a they had a very visceral reaction to it. They were upset at the level of violence and and remember this is this is a cut of the movie that's a lot more violent, a lot gorier. Um so they are uh, I, I think the the audience in Mexico too also really objected to how they're portrayed mm-hmm. in the movie. Mm-hmm. So there's some some heated reactions to it. Uh AI or Fox actually seeing that there's some trouble here passes the movie back to American international pictures to release it. So they're kind of wiping their hands of it. Um, and, and they start to recut the movie and really just trim it down and dial it back a little bit to the version that we see here, believe it or not. The, this movie went to the MPAA and they did not trim anything. They did not have, uh, you know force any cuts made they let all the violence through unedited uh which is just very unlike the MPAA, who would i guess within a few years after this uh after halloween's release really started getting on top of uh uh, on top of a lot of these movies and forcing cuts so um it comes out should we uh should we talk a little box office a little box office glory here sure Let's do it. And it's it's going to be hard because there's not a tremendous amount. This is one of those movies. There's not a tremendous amount of information unless you guys have found more than I. Um, it comes out October 7th, 1977. It's got a $5 million budget and ends up being a very successful movie. I mean, critically Um, you know, it's sort of mixed that, that there's a lot of praise for it. There's some detractors, but it ends up, I I saw 130 million. I'm sure that's worldwide. Yeah. um, That's what I found as well. But I, I, I do, I think it is worldwide, but yeah, I mean, still
2: that's a ton of money on a $5 million budget. Wow. So hugely successful. It's kind of what I was alluding to earlier in the podcast when I was talking about like, yeah, tons of people saw it. So it's weird that it just kind of disappeared.
1: Yeah, it's so strange that this movie came out, it's a big hit, but then it sort of swept away. And I don't I don't know if it was the violent aspect of it or if there was an ownership, you know, some of these movies that are distributed through these independent companies end up in in rights issues and they kind of disappear for years. We've talked about some of them here on the show that uh, you know at close range is one that just like a, a movie comes out it's got names in it and it's just gone you just never see it never hear of it and if it weren't for Quentin Tarantino I don't know who would have ever re- I'm sure someone would rediscover this but I don't know how they would have yeah Um. so yeah it's it's really that you know it, it that whole period of the 80s and into the mid 90s where it's just gone there's no discussion it's not played on tv obviously it's going to be hard to air a movie like this on tv uh you know you it's think not it
2: show up like on HBO. you know i mean like it would have shown up on
1: cable somewhere yeah man maybe it might it, have maybe it did and it just it didn't really click I mean... with anybody
2: Look, I saw a toxic Avenger on on HBO late night. Like this, definitely would have shown up on HBO yeah. late night. You know what I mean? Like it just yeah. seemed strange to
3: to not be around it probably, at all. It, I'm sure it had a, a, an audience for a while, but then yeah, it was just replaced by bigger, you know, actiony kind of things, right? Like yeah, yeah. that aren't that aren't so psychologically, uh, you know,
1: challenging. Yeah.
3: Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a programmer of cable <laughs> TV. I don't know.
1: So it's it's uh you know it comes back out uh, you know back to the forefront a little bit in 1995 but it was still even though Tarantino talked about it named his company after it it didn't change the fact that it was hard to find. Right. <laughs> like you right. really had to find a good video store with with some old VHS copies in there. Yeah. Uh, that where were, you would not find this at blockbuster we'll say that right but it, you know it wasn't until that dvd release where you know I, I i got mine through shout factory i think that's who was sort of behind that that um they've done a lot of cult movies and, and put them done a nice remastering of them and put them out on blu-ray and and uh and maybe that's the way they find a new audience right so yeah um, so there you go that's wow. uh, Rolling Thunder mm. Rolling Thunder I I don't know I I love the movie I love the pace of it I, and I get that it's not for everybody I love how it matches sort of his internal psychological clock that you know it's this really long slow burn of he's he's planning this whole thing out and you don't really know what he's doing till he's already deep into it and um you know william devane's performance uh i don't think he's an actor that's celebrated enough so we're celebrating him here right Absolutely. now yeah
3: so. <laughs> well done here, here
1: billy d well done william devane wd well done well, that's his nickname yeah <laughs> well done <laughs> william devane <laughs> um yeah. all right Let's let's rank it on our our scale. Where where does where does Rolling Thunder hold hold for you guys, uh, David? What do you think? It's, how many how many grunts for this one? Eesh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Where, I don't
3: know where to put it. I honestly I don't know. I don't know. Six and a half, seven.
1: All right, how, let's tweak that a little bit. I don't know. How, how about uh, for for revenge movies? Would you? Six, nope. and half, <laughs> six and a
3: half, seven. <laughs> I think yeah. that's a good,
2: I think that's a good spot. I think that's a good spot to put it, David. That's exactly what I was thinking. The
3: same. I was yeah. thinking six and a half. Seven. I mean, it's a real. It's a, it's well done. Right I mean, it's it, it's well done, and it's got you know. I I think it it doesn't it doesn't take any shortcuts to get to the places it needs to, and it it doesn't seem to glorify anything. And I think it 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 focuses on on the problems or the traumas of. Of 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 just living in the world after a, a post after after war and after you know coming home and nothing makes sense. I, I don't know. It's it's a it's a, it's a good movie. Um,
2: I think so yeah. for I think for me from the movies at the time, like it does a really exceptional job of like building the character in a way that you totally like you know like you. you you feel for him. Like you, you get it. You, whereas a lot of times in the revenge movies, like, you know, who cares? Like, you, you know, like you get to it, the, the, the bad thing happens within the first like 10, 15 minutes. And it's just like a, you know, a gore fest of like revenge and, and murder, you know, whereas like this, I feel like, you know, yeah, it takes a little bit of time to get there, but I think all that time is like really well done. Like, and it really helps establish like a, a bond for the, or a feel for the character. Like, you, you know, like I, I want him to succeed in his mission. Now the whole, like the second half, the, the hunting down and like, it's all very like similar to any of the other stuff. And there's been gorier things that have come out Um sense. And there's probably even gorier things from before, you know, but it's just packaged differently. So it's, so it's, you know, not talked about in the same breath as this movie, but I think that opening, what is this? It's like 45 minutes. Yeah. It's a while. You know?
1: It's, ha- it's, it's like almost great. half the movie. You know?
2: It really is like, it's really, really great. And I think yeah. it's what sets it apart, you know? And so yeah. I still think that it's like six and a half, seven, but I think that's a good ranking for like what this movie is you know at this point in film history you know but mm-hmm. but like you know it's no john wick but it is it is like it it's is strong no and like that first half again i think makes
1: it is what makes it as strong as it is i you know i i tried to look at it from a, the opposite perspective of i know what i like about this movie what didn't i like about it what what you know what did i feel like didn't work and i really couldn't come up with much so i'm going to rank it pretty high i'm going to give it an 8.9
2: wow because out of i 10? just
1: i think out of, yeah out of 10 yeah out of ten okay <laughs> sometimes we do 13 i know though, i just like i had to check i had to check <laughs> um i just felt like brent you kind of nailed it already but it really did such a solid job of making you care and setting it up and setting that, that tone. Um, and yeah, this, the, the action half of it, um, you know, they've already gotten you to that emotional place. So it can just be the action and, and letting it sort of unravel. But, um, so yeah, I think it achieved its, its goal really nicely. And as far as revenge movies go, uh you know this is like top three for me so oh nice yeah it uh it ranks up there pretty pretty high for me plus you get dabney coleman just briefly in the beginning and and you can't do wrong true. with him
2: i mean there's definitely i know there's been a couple dabney sightings right on the on the podcast but there just hasn't been enough
1: yeah we're gonna we're have, gonna to, have change to change that,
2: that.
1: whoa whoa oh. <laughs> whoa
2: what? It's like well, we're the
1: same person. We basically are. Um, <laughs> we've got our schedule coming up, but as soon as we can work th- the Dabster, and he'll be back. Yeah. Okay. We should.
3: Yeah. We should get him back in.
1: But uh, all right, guys. Cool. So, uh, any other final comments on on Rolling Thunder? Don't tell people you've got silver dollars. That's yeah. You know, moral don't of the story: it, don't,
2: don't let people know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, keep, don't keep be able your, walk around. Keep your damn silver dollars to yourself. Yep. Or look what'll happen. All that cash is falling out of your pocket. Just don't don't let them see it. Yeah. And or maybe just don't have change at all. Like just deposit those and turn them into dollar bills. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Uh, all right. Cool. Well, that's. Uh, I think that's going to wrap it up here. I want to say a quick shout out to our friends. Curtis Moore for the poster. Thank you, as always, to him and EK Wimmer for the theme song. And don't forget to check out his podcast, Laser Graves. Uh, they're doing some great episodes recently, well, all the time, but especially recently. So check them out anywhere you get your podcasts. And uh, check us out on social media. We're Reconsideration Podcasts on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And you can listen to our archives at www.reconsideration.com for our, our back catalog. So. Uh, All right, guys. Well, I'm going to go sharpen up my my hook and uh, my my shotgun, and uh, I I will see you guys next time on Reconcinimation. Take care. Bye now.
4: I'm Quentin Tarantino,
0: and I'm here to introduce the Rolling Thunder video collection that we'll be releasing through Buena Vista Home Video. World famous director Quentin Tarantino brings his passion for movies and his experience as a celebrated filmmaker to an exciting new video line. I know a good movie when I see it. As a filmmaker, Quentin Tarantino has never been hotter, and the phenomenal success of his own films broke industry records. Pulp Fiction remained on the Billboard charts for 28 weeks, Reservoir Dogs 19 weeks, and Dusk Till Dawn debuted number one on the charts in August and promises to be one of the year's hottest rentals. Why are our films doing great on video? Why? They're movies that you can see again and again and again. The Rolling Thunder Video Collection is a new line of movies hand-picked by Quentin Tarantino, aimed straight at the hottest renting age category, 18 to 34. People will be discovering the films. They're infectious. They'll watch it
4: once, all right, and they'll go and they'll rent it again to uh, show it to their buddy. These are the
0: kind of films that they are. The collection benefits from a built-in audience based on the huge following of this maverick director. If you like my stuff, you can look at it and, like, this is where it came from. Rolling Thunder features the most innovative and extraordinary films from around the world, the kind of movies Tarantino fans want to see. We'll have uh, uh, American independent films, uh, uh, art films from different countries,
4: and exploitation films from America and exploitation films from, you know, know, other countries and other genres. The first four that we'll be releasing will be Chunking Express, which is a film out of Hong Kong, Switchblade Sisters, which is an American exploitation film from the 70s, fist of legend which is a recent hong kong martial arts film and the psychic which is an italian horror film they're good fun entertaining cutting edge movies
0: each movie released as part of this collection features an introduction of commentary and facts by quentin tarantino himself rolling thunder films have captured the imagination of audiences and the attention of media across the nation we've already Gotten a tremendous amount of publicity in both uh, Time and Newsweek, as well as Variety and Hollywood Reporter and Los Angeles Times. We've been profiled in uh, Film Insider Magazine. Plus, the Rolling Thunder video collection is backed by unprecedented marketing and promotional support from Buena Vista Home Video. We'll be doing this really cool fan club, coming out with
4: newsletters describing the new films. We'll have a website on the Miramax Cafe. It'll be real nice. You'll be, you'll be fun. Good for the fans.
0: One of the world's most innovative video collections is coming to your store. You guys will like, like these movies a lot. Quentin Tarantino's Rolling Thunder
1: video collection. Don't miss out on the action.